Take your Bibles this morning and turn to a Christmas account in the Bible found in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Records the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two Gospels record uh, a story about his birth or the truth about his birth, and that is Matthew and Luke. So we'll be reading Matthew's part this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Follow your Bibles as I read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask today for your help to bring this message. I know, Lord, that uh, there are important truths that we'll be looking at today, and I just ask that you might uh, help us to take them to heart, and I pray that we'll learn from the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that he not only came to do that, but he actually did it, and then he rose from the grave on the third day as proof that sin was paid for and salvation was available. I ask, Lord, that you might use the message to speak to our hearts, and I ask you will give enablement to bring the message, and I pray that your name will be glorified in it all, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Gift wrapping is a big thing in the U.S., and during the Christmas season, I read where the Americans will spend $2.6 billion for gift wrapping. Also, Americans will use enough ribbon to tie a bow around the earth. But what happens to most of that wrapping material? It'll be thrown in the trash. All the money spent on the material to make the gift look pretty, but once the gift is unwrapped, it's just discarded thrown away as if it's worthless. The greatest gift of all times was given by God to people on this earth. That's you and me and everyone else as well. John 3 verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's interesting that 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 also mentions love, and it says this, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, and 1 John 3.16 says, hereby, hereby we perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Now, Jesus is God. There's one God eternally existing in three persons, and God the Son came from heaven to this earth. 
John 3.16 says, God the Father loved us so much he gave his son. And 1 John 3.16 says the son loved us so much that he died for us. So that's really a wonderful thing. Jesus is the ultimate gift given to meet the need of people everywhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 describes it like this. But thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. A gift is considered valuable for various reasons. If you have a gift given to you, you will determine its value by certain things. First of all, probably by, for, by what it costs. If, if a gift is valuable, it's probably something that costs something, a good bit. Also, what motivated the giving of the gift? If you know that somebody gave you the gift because they truly love you, it means a whole lot more, makes it more valuable. Another thing that makes a gift valuable is, is that it meets a need. It's something you really need. Now, we, I had a plumber not long ago working in our, in our house, and he also does some preaching. And uh, it was back in our bathroom. I had to have a shower uh, fixed. And I had tried to fix it myself, and it just wouldn't work, and it, I couldn't get the parts. Apart. And he even, even he had trouble, made me feel better. <laughs> but our bathroom where a shower is is right next to our closet, you know, walk-in closet. And he saw my ties, and he says, wow, I thought I had a lot of ties. <laughs> well, not long, well, been a few years ago now, I counted my ties. I laid them out on the bed, and I counted them. At that time, there was over 130. <laughs> That's from almost 50 years of preaching, you know. I, I, when I was in seminary, we wear a tie every day. So I've, I've got all these ties, and I hardly throw one away, and, I, and you know, people give me ties. And, and believe me, I don't need a tie for Christmas. <laughs> so if a person gave me a tie, it wouldn't be that valuable because I don't need it. But uh, the value of a gift is, is determined by how much you need it and how valuable it is to you. Also, another thing that determines the value of a gift is if it continues to satisfy. It's not something you just open, oh, that's nice, and you throw it away, or you put it on a shelf and never use it. But the value of a gift is determined by if it's something that you continue to use and it continues to satisfy you, and that makes a gift very valuable. Or when God gave his son, the Bible says the father gave his son and that is, makes it very valuable for God the, God the Father to give God the Son to this earth and to have God the Son become one of the creatures that God made uh, and take upon himself human flesh. And that's what's, what the virgin birth is all about, that God became a man without the instrument of, instrument of a man. And so he doesn't have the sin nature, but God became a man. So Jesus is the God-man. And for God to do that for us, that's, that's a wonderful thing, and that's great. His love is great. But also that God the Son gave his life for us. So that makes it very valuable. It costs God and it costs Jesus a whole lot. What motivated it? Well, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. And so the reason God the Father gave his Son, because he loved us, also the reason the Son of God died for us is because he loved us. Also, it meets our greatest need. I mean, the greatest need that everybody has is to be right with God. Because if you go out of this world and you're not right with God, you're going to go to hell for eternity. So 
That's your greatest need. It's, it's more than health or anything else. Your greatest need is to be right with God. And the Bible says Jesus Christ paid our sin debt so that we could be right with God, and he paid that sin debt for us. And so it meets a need. Our greatest need is to be right with God. Also, it satisfies the gift of God that Jesus Christ, he satisfies. He never grows old. Have any of you who are really saved, have you ever come to the place where you say, I'm tired of Jesus? Well, no, you don't. You wouldn't dare, dare do that. You need him every day, and he satisfies completely all the time. He never disappoints. And so he is, of course, the most valuable gift. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us eternal life. He gives us new life in Christ. He gives us peace with God. He gives us the promise of a home in heaven. He adopts us into his family. We could go on and on. What a valuable gift Jesus is, and he satisfies us. But what about the wrappings of God's gift? That's how I've entitled the message, Christmas Wrappings of God's Gift. How are the, what are the wrappings of Jesus, the gift? Now, I want to talk about that because I, as we do, I actually mean by wrappings, I mean truths that are necessary for the presentation of God's gift. Truths that are necessary for the present, uh, presentation of God's gifts. Uh, they cannot be trashed. They cannot be thrown away. They cannot be recycled. And so when you unwrap your Christmas gift, there'll probably be a garbage bag there or, or a can or something that you put those in, just like the other night when we had our Christmas party. We had a big garbage can in the, in a trash can, might be better to say, trash can in the middle of the floor. And so when you unwrap the package, even though they looked good, you just crumbled that package up, the wrapping up, and you threw it in the trash can. But none of God's wrappings for his gift are throwawayable. <laughs> They're not anything that you would throw away or trash. God's wrappings of his gift are very valuable to us. Now, let's think about some of those wrappings. And what I mean, these are truths that are associated with the gift, and that's Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to mention is this. One of the wrappings is this. All people are sinners deserving of God's wrath, but we are incapable of doing anything about it. We are incapable of atoning ourselves. When you see Jesus, when you see, if, if you were there that day and, and you saw Jesus first come to this earth and he's lying there in the manger, you could say, there lies the Son of God. And you could say, as Mary said and others said, there lies the Savior, the Savior. And what that means is we need a Savior. We're sinful. And the Bible says that's true of us, that we are sinful and we need a Savior and we really can't do anything to save ourselves. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Psalm 14 says, God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did good. And he said, they're all sinners. They're all gone out of the way and uh, none of them are good. And so all of us have that in common. We don't deserve to go to heaven because we're sinful. Also, all are incapable of doing anything about it. We can't change any, anything about that sinful condition because if you even could turn over a new leaf, let's say you're 40 years old and you turn over a new leaf and you say, I'm not going to do anything bad from now on. 
and you were able to do that. Nobody's able to do that. Let's say you were. You were able to do it from 40 years old, and you lived all the way to 100. You lived to be 100. You got 60 years of perfect living. Would you go to heaven? No. Why? You have 40 years of sin, and you can't cancel it out. You can't do anything about it. You've sinned against God, and there's nothing you can do to change that. So God came to this earth. He sent Jesus to this earth to come and to take your sin upon himself and to die for us, to take our punishment that we deserve for our sin. He paid for all of it on the cross of Calvary. And so that's a wonderful thing. Jesus paid for us. And so we can't do anything about it ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't get to heaven by being good. Your good works don't help you get to heaven. The Bible says in Galatians 2, 16, A man is not justified by the works of the law. What's the works of the law? That's the Old Testament law. And God gave certain things they had to do. But even if you could do all those things, that doesn't justify you. That doesn't make you right with God. And the Bible says in in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Why was Jesus born? Jesus was born so that man could have a sinner. He's a sinner and he can't do anything about it. And so that's one of the things we think about when we see Jesus. He is there. He came to this earth. He went to the cross of Calvary. Why? Because we are sinful. We're sinful. And so that's one of the wrappings of the Son of God that we see. Another one is this. God is worth waiting for. Another truth we learn from Jesus coming to this earth to die for us is that God is worth waiting for. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He has a plan and a purpose for everything. The Bible says Jesus was born to die. Revelation 13, 8, we shared it last week, I think it was. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever established, God knew that man was going to sin. And in his mind, he was going to send his son, and in his mind, he already knew that he would have to die on the cross for our sins slain from the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, which is Satan. And so someone was going to come to die for sins and to conquer Satan. Isaiah 53 says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. That's Jesus when he came to this earth. Then it goes on to say, He was wounded for our transgressions. It was laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he was led as a, slant, as a lamb to the slaughter. So this was all predicted. This was all determined by God before Jesus ever came to this earth, before we ever came to this earth. It was determined by God. And so uh, he never, and God never makes a mistake. Uh, he never makes a mistake. So he's, an, he's a wise God who always, makes, always does the right thing. He never makes mistakes, and he's always on time. Galatians 4, verse 4 says that, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. So Jesus came at the right time. God knew what he was doing. It was all planned, and he came at the right, right time. And in the account of his birth, uh, people also 
waited on the Lord. You see, Jesus is worth waiting for. The best things are worth waiting for. And Jesus uh, he came at the right time, and it was all planned, and it, it came at the time when uh, he was, he was, it was planned for him to die, and he did that, and it was all planned so that at the right time, we would have a Savior. In the account of his birth, as I said, there are other people who waited on the Lord. Think of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They waited for a child. But when the child did not come, they continued to serve the Lord and, and not have bitterness. And they were old in age. The Bible says, well stricken in age. And then Elizabeth conceived. Wow, what a special thing. Joseph and Mary waited and remained sexually pure until Jesus was born. The Bible says that uh, uh, Joseph and Mary did not come together. That's why I don't like the terminology today when married couples say, uh, we've been together for so many years. Oh, we've been married for this many years and we were together that many years. Now, I don't like to use that anymore because it just doesn't right, carry the right connotation. But back then it says, before they came together, they were not sexually active at all. And then Mary conceived. How did she conceive? By the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that Joseph knew her not. They still had none of that activity until after Jesus was born. What did they do? They waited. They waited. You see, God's best gifts are worth waiting for. And Jesus was the best gift. They waited for him. And then Mary and Joseph, they waited, and uh, it, was, it was always it was the right thing to do. And mankind's been waiting. Since God gave that promise in John 3.15, or Genesis 3.15, it was 4,000 years before the Son of God came. And so he was worth waiting for. We often have to wait on God, because, but he is worth waiting for. We have to wait for certain things. Our waiting that God gives us, when God puts us through a test, we have to wait on him. And the Bible says many times, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. We often get in trouble because we don't wait on the Lord. It's worth waiting on, on the Lord. The test will come for a purpose. God will give us a test maybe to try our faith and let us see how strong our faith is. God will give us a test to cause us to pray. How often sometimes people forget to pray until they go through a test. They go through a trial and then they pray. And so God has a purpose for it. God gives us, uh, gives us, gives the, us a test so he ha God has time to work. And the Bible says in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God had a purpose. God had a plan. And people waited on the Lord. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son. You're going through a trouble maybe today. You don't know why. I can guarantee you, if you're a Christian, God has a reason for it. He's worth waiting for, and you wait on the Lord. Sometimes God will send you through a test to make you strong. You remember the Bible says tribulation works patience, so God has something to do. He makes you strong through the test you're going through. Uh, sometimes God gives us a test so that we can wait for the best thing. You know, lots of times we want to satisfy our own desires and want something right now. And God says, you wait. The best is yet to come. And sometimes we wait on the Lord, 
And after the severe trial and test and trouble we experience, God gives us the best which is yet to come. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has something good, acceptable, and perfect for us, but sometimes we have to wait on it, and the best things are worth waiting for. God is always worth waiting for. Another thing about the, the, the biblical account of, of the birth of Jesus, God's best is this. God's best, this is the truth that's sort of wrapped up around Jesus when he came, and it's this. God's best is often found in the most unlikely places. God's best is often found in the most unlikely places. The best gift, Jesus, was found in an animal stall. Now, who would ever thought that beforehand? You know, that God's going to send the Savior to the world. And you would have thought that it would come with some big fanfare, but it didn't. The Bible says he came to an animal stall. The Jews looked for a great Messiah who would rule and reign and, and conquer Rome and get them out, of the, out from under the bondage they were in. They never expected that when God sent the Messiah, he would come to a Bethlehem major. They never expected when their Messiah grew up that he would grow up in Nazareth. You remember in John chapter 14 or John chapter 1 verses 45 and 46, the statement is made is does has in, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what the Jews thought, you know, Nazareth. That uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was known for bad things. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They never would have thought that Jesus would come out of, out of Nazareth. Many think the solutions to their problems will be found in uh, certain things such as, you know, if I was only stronger, I could do this. And physical strength is sometimes thought by us as a solution to our problem. Financial success. We thought if we only had enough money, everything would be all right. I could show you a lot of people with a lot of money whose lives are all messed up no peace, no, no security, and uh, money just doesn't do it. Some people think, well, if I just had luck in the lottery, I'll never win the lottery because I've never bought the first ticket and never will. But some people think if I could only win the lottery, everything would be settled. And we need to understand that's not true. They never realize that the solution that to their problems is found in Jesus. There's a lot of people today whose lives are all wrecked, messed up, and they're no longer able to function in society because sin has destroyed them. And they think, if I only had physical strength, if I only had financial success, if I only could win the lottery, everything would be all right. And they don't realize that all they need is Jesus. All they need is Jesus. They need him like for emotional help. Sometimes I can't sleep at night. And I, I don't usually have trouble going to sleep. But it's after I've gone to sleep and I wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I can't go back to sleep. 
And so I'll quote Isaiah 26. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. It doesn't always work because I can't always keep my mind stayed on Jesus. And sometimes I'll think about my problems. And I'll think about things I need to get done. And I won't be able to go back to sleep. But the Lord says, I will keep him in perfect sleep, perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Another promise is in Psalm 127, verse 2. It said, he giveth his beloved sleep. (laughs) Sleep comes from the Lord. And so God says that what we need is found in Jesus. Also, physical help. We think that physical help can be found with doctors. Doctors have their place, but we sometimes forget that Jesus is the great, what? Physician. He's the great physician. And sometimes we just are like the lady in in the scripture, you know, spent all of her her substance on the doctors and she still wasn't healed. And sometimes we forget that the great physician is concerned about us as well. And so uh, then there's another thing that we need is that's encouragement. And the Bible says that's found in Jesus as well. The Bible says when Jesus left, he says, I'll send to you another comforter. And the word comforter is a paraclete. He's one who comes along beside to encourage and strengthen and help you. And the Bible says Jesus is our encourager. The Holy Spirit, he sends, is our encourager and our comfort. Then it's interesting, the Bible says the reason you should go to church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why do you go to church? So you can be exhorted, so you can be encouraged. That comes from the messages, sure, but it comes from God's people, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And if you need encouragement, encouragement should come from two sources, from the Holy Spirit who indwells you and from people in the church who can encourage you. Also, sometimes we need direction, and we think direction will be found in uh, advisors. You know, there's all kinds of ads on the, on the radio and TV about financial advisors. Nothing wrong with financial advisors. But uh, the advice we need for direction is found in Jesus. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths direction that we look for sometimes. We don't think about finding it in Jesus. Success. We want to be successful. And we have all kinds of ways to be successful. We think to be successful, you just have to work hard. There's some truth in that. You do need to work hard. And some people think that you to be successful, you need to have shrewd dealings. You know, you need to make some really wise choices, and maybe deceive some people along the way. But the Lord says in Joshua 1, 8, But this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Good success. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What's those two verses say? Two passages, Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1 say? 
They say success is found in the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God, knowing what God says, doing what God says, that's where you find success. And a lot of the world's successful people are really not successful because of them, when they come to the end of their success, what do they do? They die and go to hell. Now, you call that success? I don't think so. That's not success. And then peace with God. Some people want peace with God. You know, all, all people do. And they seek it in religion. They seek it in religion and don't realize that it's found in Jesus. The Bible says in John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want peace? You can find it in Jesus Christ. It comes through him. And so these things are found in unlikely places, and that's one of the lessons that uh, Christmas tells us. And when you look at Jesus, you really learn that, that the best things are found in, in unlikely places, and that's found in Jesus. Also, another thing is this. God delights to use humble people who obey. As we look at Christmas and we look at the birth of Christ and we look at all that goes on in that, that account, we find that God used humble people who obeyed him. And the Bible says there was no big fanfare when Jesus was born. There was no citywide campaign to announce his birth. There were no invitation to dignitaries to come to his birth. The Bible says that no, there wasn't. The only ones to witness his birth, the only humans to witness his birth were, the, were uh, Joseph and Mary. And then animals probably in the stall, the only one. The greatest person who has ever came to this earth, the reception he got was Joseph and Mary and some animals. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty humble. You know, God says that he wants us to be humble as well. All involved in the birth of Jesus and, and its announcement, not only Joseph and Mary, a Joseph or Mary submitted to God when God told her what was going to happen. Uh, Joseph submitted to God when he was wanting to put his way of his wife because he thought she was unfaithful. And, and, and God told him, don't put her away. What she, the, the child she's conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And so he just submitted to God, humbly said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. The shepherds obeyed the angel. They said, the angel said, go into Bethlehem and see this child. And they did what God told them to do. The wise men, God just directed them to follow the star because it would lead them to where the Christ child was born, the king of the Jews. And so they followed the star. They just obeyed God. And God did the rest. And that's the way it is with our life. A lesson we can learn from, from uh, the Christmas account is that God delights to use humble people who obey him. God wants humble people to obey him. Throughout church history, the majority of God's work has been done by humble people doing small things for a great God. Humble people doing small things for a great God. You don't have to be real special in the world's way of thinking. All you have to be is a humble person that submits to God and say, God, it's me. I want to do what you want me to do. 
and you obey the Lord. And that's what we learn from Christmas. The Bible says we should be available. We should obey. We should do our best for what God wants us to do, and then we should give God the glory. And when we do, God uses humble people like he did back in the, in the Christmas account. He used humble people, and God still does today. Another lesson, another truth is this. Good things often come in small packages. Good things often come in small packages. You see, God's best gift came in a small package wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. We often want the big, attractive things. You think of young people who are marriageable age. Sometimes they think about, I remember going to school with a young man who was in high school. And he was one of the least popular young men. I wouldn't say his name, but, uh, and he, I mean, he just had some problems. But his desire and his, he promised us, when I get married, I'm, I'm marrying Annette Funicella. Now, if anybody don't know who that is, back in Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to marry her. What did he have in mind? She is beautiful. She's successful. And I'm going to marry her. A lot of people have that in their mind. You know, they have to have somebody really special, somebody popular, somebody attractive, somebody handsome, somebody beautiful, somebody successful. And so a lot of women have, have, have you know, drooled over Tom Cruise. I don't know why, believe me. But let me ask you, if you were married to Tom Cruise, what would you like to be, his first wife? His second wife or his third wife? <laughs> Back years ago, when I was young, one of the most beautiful ladies in Hollywood was Elizabeth Taylor. Well, if you back then had a desire to, oh, if I could just have Elizabeth Taylor as my wife, which one would it be? Would it be her first husband, second husband, third husband, fourth husband, fifth husband, sixth husband, Seventh husband or eighth husband. As preachers used to say when they started a message, they said, I'll be like Elizabeth Taylor today. I won't keep you long. <laughs> all of that, all of that, you know, superficial stuff is nothing. The Bible says good things often come in small packages. And sometimes... A young man, if he can find that wife that just loves Jesus, it'll be a wonderful thing the rest of his life to have a lady that can live his life, her, live her life with him, and she loves the Lord Jesus. Some people think, well, if I could just have a big something big, you know, if I could have a brand new house, wow. If I could have a new car, if I could have a new motorhome, or if I could have a new boat, or if I could have a new job, or if I could have a promotion, or if I could just have more money. One thing true of people who want more money, all the time they want more money. How much is enough? What well, more. <laughs> more money. It never satisfies completely. But, but sometimes God gives us these things, and he blesses us more than we ever thought we would be blessed. But still, the small things might be the best things and the most important things because good things, the best things, come in small packages. Let me tell you some of those things. 
Let me tell you some of those small things that come in, that, those small things that maybe come in small packages. Here's some of them. Patience. Have you ever learned that? <laughs> it's a very valuable thing. It's considered small for some people. They'd much rather have something big, like a brand new car. But God says, no, these are more valuable. What about long-suffering, to be long-suffering to other people? What about gentleness or meekness or peace, just to have peace? What about kindness or thankfulness or contentment or love? Love for God, love for his word, and love for God's people. The world considers those small things, but God considers them very important and great things. Some of the best things come in small packages. And when we look at Jesus laying in that manger, that little babe, wow, he's the savior of the world. The savior of the world. Another truth is this. God specializes in doing the impossible. God specializes in the impossible. Let's look at some impossible things that happened during the Christmas I would say Christmas, the the birth of Jesus Christ. The angel appears to Zacharias. Wow, that had never happened in his life. I mean, an angel appeared to him in the temple. Wow. What about then Elizabeth, his wife, conceived? That was considered impossible because she was well stricken in years and she's going to have a baby. And what about the angel appearing to Mary to tell her that wonderful news? And then Mary conceived. Now, that wasn't just impossible. That was a miracle. (laughs) Now, the others were considered impossible for Zacharias and Elizabeth to have a child. Well, but it's physically possible, I guess. But for Mary to have Jesus without ever knowing a man, that is an absolute miracle. God can do the impossible. Then the angel appeared to Joseph and told him about that that she was with child from the Holy Spirit and he could take her to be his wife. Then the angel appeared to the shepherds that night when they were out in the, out in the field and that seemed like an impossible thing to them that, that, that they got a messenger from God, a messenger from heaven to talk to them. And then the wise men had that star that lead them. I mean, stars don't move. <laughs> stars don't move and show you, go to this place and then move again and show you to go to some other place. But this star did. It was impossible, but God does the impossible. The Bible says that impossibilities are also available to us. You might think that it's impossible for you to be saved. I don't know everyone who's here today, but I do know that God says he can save anybody. It doesn't matter how bad you are, God can save you. You might think it's impossible for you to be saved, or maybe you think it's impossible for a person who you know to be saved because they're just too far gone. I mean, they're too sinful. They can't be saved. Well, the Lord always gives us reason to believe that he can save anybody. And so he puts that illustration in the Bible of the maniac of Gadara, and as you know, I call it the worst-case scenario. I mean, he was demon-possessed. He didn't wear any clothes he was a wild man. They'd chain him. He'd break the chains, and, and uh, people were afraid of him. I mean, he, he was a mess. And then he met Jesus, and he was clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind. God changed him completely. 
Nobody is too hard to be saved. God said to Abraham after Sarah laughed, he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? God told Sarah, she was, or told Abraham that Sarah was going to have a child, and she heard it, and she laughed. And he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Gabriel said to Mary, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And then Jeremiah answers the question in Jeremiah 32, 17, when he says, there is nothing too hard for God. You might think that it's impossible for God to change your situation. You might say, Pastor, if you only knew. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you somebody who knows, and that's the Lord. God deals, specializes in the impossible. God turned the problems of Job into victory. What, What problems did Job have? Well, one day, all this happened to him. All of his livestock, all of his livestock, and there were thousands of them, were killed. All the servants that kept those were killed. And uh, it, it just, all, or they were stolen. Some of them were stolen, these, these livestock. And then lost his children. The Bible says all seven sons and three daughters died. Same day. And then when he tra- responded correctly to the Lord for that, then the Bible says God allowed Satan to touch his flesh and he had boils all over him. And he was a very sick man. And then he had those three friends that came to just put him down even more. But God restored him double. You read the account that all the animals he had, God gave him twice as many. And his seven sons and three daughters were dead, but guess what God did? He gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. Double. God changed his situation. The Bible also says that God delivered Israel from Egypt. They were in bondage. It seemed like a hopeless situation, and yet God led them out. And after he led them out, the Egyptians came after them, and God opened up the Red Sea, and they went through on dry land. Then the Egyptians followed them, and God closed the Red Sea and drowned all the Egyptians. Impossible, but God did it. God delivered the three Hebrew men from the fiery furnace, and they were thrown alive into that furnace. And the men throwing them in, the heat was so great it killed them. And they didn't even go in the furnace. And they, those three men were walking alive, around live. And a fourth one was there like the Son of God. And I believe that was Jesus walking there with them. God delivered them. And then God, put, God allowed Daniel to be put in a, in a den of hungry lions. And he spent the night with those hungry lions, and he, didn't, he wasn't hurt. Why? Because God shut the lions' mouths. God delivered. God delivered Peter from that prison. I love that account. And it's in Acts chapter 5, and Peter was put into prison, and two soldiers were chained to him. And then outside the door where he was, where he was in prison, they had two soldiers guarding the door. So two soldiers chained to him, two soldiers guarding the door. But prayer was made for him by the church without ceasing. And they were praying for Peter. Then the angel of the Lord came into that prison cell that day, and he said to to Peter, rise up quickly. And his chains fell off. And the the guys that he was chained to probably didn't wake up. His chains fell off. And then he said, now gird yourself and put on your sandals, cast your garment about you, follow me, And then the Bible says they passed the first and the second ward, which were guards. So they walk out, and there's guards standing there. They walk right past them. And then they come to this iron gate 
that goes out into the city, the last place that he could be released from that, get out of that prison. And the Bible says the gates opened of their own accord. The first automatic doors, we have those all the time. We saw those all the time, but that was the first. And the gates just opened up, and Peter walked on out. Miracle, impossible, but God did it. You might say, well, your, your situation is impossible. God can't change it. God specializes in the impossible. You might think it's impossible for God to take your bad situation and work it out for good. Well, that happened to all those cases I just showed, I just talked to you about. You see, Job became an illustration we've read for thousands of years and been preached, uh, men preached messages on him many, many times, and Christians have been encouraged by Job's life. God worked it out for, together for good. The Israelites' deliverance, God used that many times as an illustration of what he can do. The three Hebrew men, we've preached many messages on that three Hebrew men. And Daniel and Peter and all those became examples for us to trust God. God specializes in the impossible. But then one final thing that sort of wraps up the Lord Jesus, and it's a lesson you learn from just looking at what he, what, when he came to this earth, and that is God loves you so much he gave his son. You see, when you look at Christmas, the Christmas story, the wrappings of that Christmas story are wonderful. And one of those, the best probably is this, God loves you so much, he gave Jesus. That should make it very special to us when we look at Christmas because this is our salvation. Because of Jesus, we can go to heaven. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And when we look at Jesus, we see that all people are sinners, but he died for our sins. When we look at Jesus, we see that God is wor worth waiting for. As they waited for Jesus, we can wait on the Lord as well. We look at Jesus and we see that God's best is often found in the most unlikely places. We can also look and see that God delights to use humble people who will just obey him. Good things often come in small packages. God specializes in, in the impossible, and God loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. I like the wrappings of God's Christmas gift, and a good thing about it, none of them are thrown away. We love every one of those truths, and when we talk to people about Jesus, we use that first one and says, you're a sinner, but Jesus loved you enough to die for your sins. All of those wrappings of Christ, the Christmas gift, Jesus, are still very valuable to all of us. I ask you, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you received him as your gift? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of these truths, and there are many others as well. But Lord, I just pray that we might appreciate even more than ever our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die for us. If anybody has never trusted him, may today be the day they do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.